young man in a small town meets a beautiful drifter who bites him and turns him into a vampire like her. The young man named Caleb tries to escape, but realizes the sun hurts him and normal food makes him vomit. All he wants is blood. Caleb is taken in by the drifter's twisted family, a gang of vampires who roam the highways of America butchering drifters and hitchhikers. They demand Caleb kill with them, but his conscience is stronger than their darkness in the 1987 cult classic Near Dark. I'm Connor Izagari. And I'm Austin Johnson. And this is Filmgasm. Welcome back to the Filmgasm podcast, dear listeners, the little horror movie podcast that could, soon to be the little genre movie podcast that could. We are back in the world of vampires this week, folks, digging into one of the most significant vampire flicks that I hadn't seen prior to this show, but I have now, and it's a wild ride. Not my favorite vampire movie, but good. Like, good effort, good good flick. Yeah, very solid. Um, Catherine Bigelow, you know, legend, she's become... Um, you know, a very acclaimed director at this point. And I, I agree with you. It's not my favorite vampire movie, but it's something I'm going to remember for a long time. And I'll definitely rewatch because the atmosphere is awesome. The music is awesome. And some of the performances are really fucking good. And that that is what's rare to find in a lot of vampire movies where the performances are totally locked in. But um, I, I agree with you. There, there is better vampire flicks out there. But this is one you should see if you like them. Do you have a favorite vampire flick? <sighs> Not, no, there's not one that stands above the rest for me. No, uh-huh. there isn't. Uh, uh, this is, okay, this um, might be stepping on some toes or might be, like, make some people upset. But honestly, what we do in the shadows. Mm. Uh, um, okay. It's, it's obviously a way different tone um, than, than most, like, horror vampire movies. But um, I find that movie to be very refreshing. I love everyone in it. love all the performances. Uh, vamp- vampire movies are hard to me because... Because of what it is and the the subject matter, it, it's hard to not be silly. And if you do it right, like Near Dark does it right, it can be very effective. Uh, what about you? What what stands out for you for vampire movies? I know you have a few. Yeah. So I've mentioned it a few times on this podcast. I've written three vampire novels myself. Yes. Uh, vampire western. So I've done a I've had a a fascination with vampires for a long time. I think they're very interesting creatures. The whole you know inner battle between good and evil, where does the soul die, you know, blood. I just think it's fascinating. So I've watched a lot of vampire movies, and my all-time favorite will always be Fright Night. Fright Night's awesome. Great pick. Yeah. It's one of my all-time favorite horror movies. It was in my top ten of the 80s, and it's just such a brilliant way of doing a modern-day Dracula. And, uh... Yeah, I think it just like Near Dark, it does it right, just like with the, just the right amount of cheese to the point where it's not ridiculous. Yeah, and it's just scary enough to be uh, significant. Yeah, and effective. Ultimately, you're trying to you know stir people's emotions and and vampires, like you said, I actually do think they're they're for me personally to digest them as characters. It's better for me to read about them than watch them, if that makes any sense. Yeah, because because you don't. You, you don't have to do any costume work if you're reading about it. And sometimes that's where they lose me is movies can be like eh, the way they do the blood, maybe on their, you know, like on their face can be like yeah. just too much for me, which is why what we do in the shadows is so f- like funny and refreshing. Cause it's like, ha, huh, you know, the satirical and, and, and not to mention that Jermaine and Taika are just unbelievable writers. And that that's ultimately where that movie, <laughs> where that movie makes its money. But uh, yeah, Fright Night's a great pick. I, what you were saying in regards to uh, reading about him is more effective. I totally understand that because I, I love Dracula the novel. I think it's so yeah. well written. It's so Dracula is such a complex character. Mm-hmm. I have hated every movie version they've done of Dracula. Same, honestly, same. Yeah, I've seen the Lugosi one. I've seen the Christopher Lee one. I've seen the Gary Oldman one. They can't get him right. I just yeah, the, but the book is so effective in making Dracula a really scary vampire. Yeah. Yeah, agree. yeah, that's it, oh, man. <laughs> it is such an interesting thing, and I love that you grapple with it actually in your own mind because you've actually written stories about them. Um, I do find that Near Dark specifically, because of its setting, would have helped you out. <laughs> I know. 
I, uh, yeah, it's 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 very you know southern midwestern feel, and uh, you got these vampires wreaking havoc like in an RV. It's just <laughs> it's it's prime time for 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 that kind of inspiring kind of stuff, and it and it is it's it's very 80s, and you just wouldn't expect this from a Catherine Bigelow movie because she was you know so young when it happened in her in her 30s, and it's it's just kind of like a shot of adrenaline adrenaline rush, and then it it surprises you along the way though. It's a good one. It does, and I really wish I'd watched this before I started writing my book because I see a lot of my characters in these characters. It's fucking weird, and I know this film gets classified as a western. I, I don't, I don't know. I have my, I have very specific rules for what a western should be, and I don't think this this hits those rules for me. For me, it's just mm. a straight up vampire horror road flick. Yeah, that's how I see it too. Western, mm, that's not. I, Western is, um, you know, that that's kind of like, you know, like film noir, like, no, it, ne- it kind of needs to be in a specific setting and, uh, vampires are definitely not involved <laughs> in, uh, in, in the actual Western movies, you know? So I, I don't know that I agree with you. Well, horror West horror and Westerns have not been combined very often. It's a very rare combo, but, and this is just, I mean, speaking from personal experience when put together, it can be fucking awesome. Hell yeah. Hell and, yeah. Uh, like, for example, Bone Tomahawk, which came out a few years ago. Wild fucking movie. Uh, horror Western with uh, Kurt Russell and uh, Matthew Fox and uh, a lot of other people. It's been a long time. But that was a gruesome like movie about, you know, U.S. Marshals hunting down uh, savage cannibals in the desert. I mean, that was crazy. <laughs> but that's like Insane the only horror stuff. Western I've ever seen. I don't know. I just I think Westerns need to be, you know, in the American West on the frontier, 1800s. You get it. You know what I mean. (laughs) It's a Western. It's the most obvious genre in the in the friggin game. (laughs) So (laughs) so uh, we don't have a rewind today. There has not been there have not been any updates on past episodes this week. So that frees Austin and I up to talk about some of the movies we've been watching on our off days lately. So uh, why don't you start? What have you been checking out? Um, yeah, I, I wanted to you know shine a little spotlight on um, Match Factory Girl, which is uh, the third part of the Proletariat trilogy by the Finnish director Aki. I actually don't know how to say his last name yet. Karasmaki is how I believe to say it, but I don't know. Uh, if there's anyone listening that's seen any of his movies, I'm sorry if I said it incorrectly. But uh, this is a a trilogy that actually, you know, they don't necessarily correlate as far as the characters because none of of the characters are in, you know, all of the movies. So it's using different different characters, different actors in all three of them. And I finally finished the trilogy with Match Factory Girl, which was my least favorite of the three, but I still liked it a lot. It's the slowest of the three, the most methodical, um, follows a female character who works this very depressing job and um, just there's some things that happen in a uh, relationship that she believes to be something that is not. And um, she's like sent over the edge and uh, mentally and wants to, you know, the only way she sees out is rage, honestly, and um, is a very, very intense finale in the movie and finished up the trilogy with me. My jaw was kind of, you know, on the floor when it finished. Cause I was like, wow, you know, um, the first two movies I fell in love with because of their the pace of them. Uh, the first two are Shadows in Paradise and Ariel. They're both both wicked fast and very funny and have these um, amazing amazing scenes of dialogue. Whereas Match Factory Girl is just you're really watching this person um, just go to the brink of of their mental state because of how how much you know how much oppression she's going through and it's uh, pretty tough to watch. But it is a rewarding rewarding trilogy one of my favorite trilogies of all time now that i've seen them all three because it's rare that all three are actually really good and i you know i think i gave the first two a, a nine and they gave this last one match factor girl an eight so just solid stuff highly recommend it to anyone who's like a coen brothers fan uh people who like that kind of dark humor where there's you know that serious substance behind it and stuff that you can relate to uh if you like that kind of stuff check those those movies out um again the proletariat trilogy good stuff Right on. Cool that you've managed to, like, that you committed, you, you watched all three of them for a, a Finnish trilogy. That's impressive. 
I've, I've never, yeah, I've, that was, those are my first three Finnish movies ever. And I decided to just start with a trilogy. I've heard great things about Aki. He, um, you know, is, can come across, of course, you know, as a lot of artists can come across as brash and, um, very opinionated, but that's, that's who he is. He's an artist and he does not approve of a lot of things that go on, um, in the Academy and has had movies that were supposed to be up for Oscars. And he was like, well, I think you should give it to someone else like the nomination, because I just don't feel like going there. Uh, because, dur- <laughs> well, because during the, during the time that he, he was, uh, nominated was when George Bush was in office wow. in the early, in the early two thousands. And he, he did not like his foreign policies, uh, and, and felt that it was just unnecessary for him to show up on American soil when he wasn't going to be totally comfortable. And, um, I, you can you can say what you anyone can say what they want about that and be like oh come on man but it's like it, he's turning down like recognition and um, possible free advertisement for his movie just because of his beliefs and his morality and him not being able to he's like I wouldn't be able to sleep at night <laughs> like that's that I I want my art to be seen by people and appreciated by people that uh you know that are cool <laughs> that agree with me so um it, you know take what you will with that but that's that's just something interesting about him and how he's operated, especially with uh, American, the American audience. Wow. Sounds like, uh, I don't know. It could be, he could be labeled pretentious. He could also be yeah. protective. For, so I don't for really sure. know. For, exactly. It's kind of gray. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, I've well, been, um, I recently started a, uh, a journey into a new director that I am relatively unfamiliar with, uh, Spike Lee. I want to be prepared to discuss his new film uh, coming out in June on Netflix, The Five Bloods. So I'm doing my homework on Spike Lee, starting with Clockers, which I watched last night. Uh, well done film. Obviously, you know, very socially conscious, very opinionated. But it's a film that has a lot of morally gray characters. Nobody's really black or wh- black and white. It's all just kind of what, you know, you got to do what you got to do when you have a life like this. And I thought Harvey Keitel was amazing. I thought Mackie Pfeiffer was amazing. I thought Delroy Lindo was fucking crazy. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I really enjoyed Clockers. And um, I think next up on my list is Jungle Fever. So I'll be watching that soon. Hell yeah. And uh, yeah, just I've seen a few of Spike Lee's films, but never enough to talk about the guy. So now I'm going to have ammo and that'll be nice. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you you know me, you know I'm a big I'm a big big fan, and um, I was really I felt really it felt it always feels good to like lend something to somebody, right? That's going to be used, yeah. and I knew I knew when I gave you that Spike Lee joint collection that you would use it and watch all five of those, and uh, I'm really excited I'm really excited for June 12th and to see a new film by a guy that you and I would be going to the theater for um, because of who he is, yeah. because of his filmography, because of the respect he has, because of the the audacious, you know, just artistry that he has, he's constantly given us. And he, yeah, man, there's just not a lot of guys like him, especially in American cinema. We just don't have a lot of guys who have put together the filmography like him for that long. And he's just still, still going. And some people, you know, some people would look at Black Klansman as one of his more complete movies. And that just came out a couple years ago. So it's, it's exciting stuff. For sure. And for me personally, I love having a new director with so many films to tackle. Yeah. Like I've got my work cut out for me. I mean, I've done what, maybe 15% of the films he's got to offer. Well, you, so got, you, just, you got about two weeks. Yeah. 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 It'll be good. I'm, I'm obviously not going to get to everything, but I'm going to get to the highlights. I, uh, yeah. And, and I, you know, I, I haven't seen everything, but I've seen most of them and I, you know, I think we can help each other out as far as what we want to tackle before, uh, that movie comes out. But I, yeah, I think there's some essentials and I think, you know, which ones to, which oh, ones yeah. to watch. I obviously do the right thing is his, you know, the Mecca, the masterpiece of Spike Lee's mind. That's, that's the top of the pantheon for his movies. You know, I think that's kind of, I think everybody kind of understands that, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's not really even questioned anymore. It's like, yeah, do the right thing is pretty much that's it right, right there. That's the movie. Yep. And that's what everybody's been telling me for years. You got to watch do the right thing. And I'm, so I'm you, finally going to do that. You will absolutely love that movie. <laughs> <laughs> that and the other big one I really want to watch is Malcolm X. 
yeah, one of one of Denzel's strongest. Um, yeah, one of his strongest performances and very, very good movie. I'm, I'm going to rewatch that one as well before the movie comes out. I want to rewatch. Um, uh, what was the one? Oh, Mo Better Blues. I love that one. Also, yeah. Denzel playing, you know, jazz musician, Wesley Snipes. Spike Lee's also in that one. You know, he pops up a lot. But yeah, it's a fun, his, fun, fun career and his involvement in pop culture and his involvement in the, the Academy and challenging the Academy. He's just always going to be an icon. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, as he's proven with the five bloods, he's not letting, you know, pandemic stop his work. He's going to Netflix. He's got more shit to say, and I'm going to be there to to hear him say it. So, yeah, looking forward to that. Okay. Clearly, we're both in a good mindset for our off days. You know, this is work. Everything else is just gravy. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Ah. So Near Dark was co-written and directed by Oscar-winning director Catherine Bigelow, the first woman to ever win Best Director, and so far the only woman. Bigelow won for directing 2009's The Hurt Locker, which she also won a producing Oscar for when it won Best Picture, and she was also nominated for directing 2012's Zero Dark Thirty. Some of her other work includes Point Break, K-19, The Widowmaker, and Detroit. And uh, she's a hell of a filmmaker, Catherine Bigelow. Yeah, no kidding. Especially this, the past, you know, 10, 11, 12 years have been, you know, completely, completely career, you know, changing for her career altering because of her commitment to specifically the Hurt Locker, Zero Dark Thirty in Detroit. The commitment to those, you know, these real life stories that need to be, you know, need to be told in America. Uh, she's an icon. And, and for her to be the only woman is, is, is pretty much absurd. Um, that she's the only one who's won, but it, what, like, I, I remember when that happened, I remember watching that, I, I would have been 14 and I just remember being like, wow, that is fucking awesome. Like good for her. And I, I like fell in love with her after that. I remember seeing zero dark 30 in theaters, Detroit in theaters. Um, and like you said, point break, the old one, strange days is an amazing movie. She's got, she's got an awesome, awesome filmography and she's so strong. Uh, she was named in 2010, she was named as one of the top 100 most influential people in the Time magazine for a fucking reason, because she tells stories that matter. True. And this was her first solo directing gig near dark. Yes. And uh, the producers did not think she could do it. They told her repeatedly, like, if you screw this up, we're going to replace you. And they didn't say it, but they basically did say, you know, we're going to replace you with a man. And she showed those assholes that she could make a hell of a horror flick. And, I mean, from there on, you know, she did Point Break, another, like, quintessential guy movie. It's weird. She does movies that are labeled as, you know, guy flicks. She does war movies and action movies and horror movies. But, you know, I, I don't know what it is. She's just very good at it. Yeah, yeah exactly. Well, that's, like, where, where the argument, like, is it should not matter that she's yeah. a woman. She makes exactly. good fucking movies. Like. That's that's the whole thing. And that's the whole thing about her being the only one who's won where it's like, well, that's it. You know, you point to Bigelow because she's the one who won. <laughs> and until someone else does, she's looked at as the queen, as the you know, this this woman who can hang with everybody. And I, I cannot wait to see another woman walk that stage for that fucking award, man, because um, it's coming. I, that, that shit's coming because women are just firing them away. Um, I think Celine Skiyama is someone to look out for. I think Lulu Wong, someone to look out for. It's. So exciting to have these women on the forefront making Karen awesome. Kusama, I think yes. Take them. Oh yes, Karen Kusama's on her way. Yeah, yeah it's um, Catherine Bigelow could could do it again. Yeah, she's um, you know, helped produce Triple Frontier. You know, she is all over the place, always trying to make stuff happen and tell stories. It's awesome. Yes, indeed. Bigelow made Near Dark in the midst of the '80s vampire craze, following films like Fright Night and The Lost Boys, which uh, came out the same year and stole a lot of this film's thunder. Yes. Uh, she mixed vampire conventions with Western film tropes to make something that stood out. She was intending to make just a Western, but producers said, you know, well, we can't really sell Western. There's so many Westerns, so why don't you try mixing some genres together? And she mixed it with the, with horror and made Near Dark. Certainly stood out. <laughs> well, eventually. <laughs> Didn't stand yes. out at the time, regrettably. Uh Adrian Pastor stars as Caleb Colton, our hero, 
Pastor has played two of my favorite recent TV villains, Morgan Edge on Supergirl and Major Glenn Talbot, a.k.a. Graviton, on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Some of his other film roles include Top Gun, Carlito's Way, and Secondhand Lions. For you Heroes fans, he played the role of Nathan Petrelli in 60 episodes. <laughs> Fucking <So>. Heroes. <laughs> heroes would always come on after Lost. I remember that shit, and then it got canceled, and that was really sad. Uh. <laughs> I fucking love this guy on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Glenn Talbot had the coolest arc over that show. He just went from, like, kind of idiot general or idiot major to idiot general to, like, occasional ally of S.H.I.E.L.D., occasional hindrance, you know, got to be by the book. And then in the final season or the most recent season, he uh, he went crazy after a gunshot wound to the head absorbed this gravitational like liquid that gave him the power to manipulate gravity and he basically went became became like an insane god who was trying to rip the earth in half <laughs> it was nuts god <laughs> and the graviton is a really cool comic book villain and they've been hinting at him since the first season so it was always like who's gonna become graviton who's it gonna be and it was fucking talbot and i couldn't believe it <laughs> so cool that's great mm. so rewarding for you as the viewer and then to see him as a you know vampire victim in the 80s, I was not expecting to see him. So <laughs> that was cool. Uh, he's pretty damn good in this movie, though. Yeah, yeah. My only problem is, and this is a superficial problem, but I'm going to say it. So I have um, an old DVD of this that I borrowed from my uncle. And the DVD has no subtitles. I watch everything with subtitles. And everyone in this movie has a southern mumble accent. So Hell I yeah. understand 80% of the dialogue of this film. I was just kind of picking it up as it went along and figuring shit out from context clues most of the time. <laughs> that is incredible. I've never had my TV volume higher than I did when I watched this movie. Because <laughs> I needed to know what was going on. I couldn't just half-ass my way through this. This was a, this was a podcast episode. Uh. <laughs> fully understood. So, <laughs> uh. Incredible. I went on uh, Amazon to see how much a Blu-ray of this would be, and apparently this is a very <laughs> difficult movie to get a hold of. Yes, indeed it is, which is you know, which is funny because I watched it on Criterion Channel, the streaming service, and I was like, yo, Connor, have you seen Near Dark? And you were like, no, but I've heard I need to see it because it's like right up my alley. And I was like, oh, that's perfect. We should line it up uh, on the podcast because uh, we can utilize Criterion like we did with The Brood. And... Um, <laughs> And then I forgot to tell you, I even wrote it. It's on the fuck. It's on the website. <laughs> I wrote it because when I when I watched Near Dark, one of the reasons I watched it was well, the first reason is Catherine Bigelow because I I adore her, one of like one of my heroes in the movie world. But then I saw like the movie the like poster for it, and I was like, oh damn, like that looks like a horror movie, uh, 1987. I'm not I'm not super, um, like my my palate isn't super diverse when it comes to the 80s. So I was like, all right, this is this is good. This is gonna be something I want to watch. And then I saw that it was leaving at the end of April. <laughs> and I was like, okay, then I need to watch this before it leaves because I, I, I don't really know much about this movie and I, I think I need to watch this before it's gone. And I'm really, really glad I did. And I'm really glad your uncle owns it. <laughs> oh, me too. I would have otherwise, been like, Otherwise, yeah. we would have been kind of fucked and we wouldn't have been able to do this podcast. But uh, we would have had to <laughs> pick a random one that we both know really well or something. <laughs> yeah, and then we would have looked like assholes because we promised it last week. We exactly. Don't, so. Yeah. Yeah, I'm really I'm really glad your your uncle is who he is. <laughs> yeah, he's got a whole bunch of off the wall movies. Yeah, and yeah, Near Dark is um it it really is like as I've gotten to know you, gotten to know your family a little bit better, and uh, really become a um key contributor to filmgasm. And since I've you know been in your life, it's like Near Dark is something that's in the. <laughs> y'all's y'all's wheelhouse <laughs> like it just oh, yeah. it just is it just i was watching and i was like oh man i can totally see like yeah your uncle and your mom like loving this movie um it it's it, it's kind of what y'all have kind of taught me about horror near dark kind of captures that like not everything that you see on the internet that's classified as great there's other stuff out there and this that movie like near dark defines that you know defines <laughs> the why you dig for stuff why Okay, Lost Boys came out. Okay, but Near Dark is better, and it came out the same year. So, <laughs> so uh, like you do the, you got to do those things. And I think like being around you and your family, you guys are just such 
y'all are fucking headhunters for that shit, you know, for, for <laughs> horror. And I, I, I'm like very appreciative that I'm like under that umbrella now. It's awesome. Of course, man. Well, big thing of my family's taught me is that n- never accept at face value when somebody tells you a movie is good. See it yourself and you decide whether or not something's a classic. And that's always how I've approached everything. And uh, like, for example, Fright Night, I grew up with that movie thinking like, this is the most badass vampire movie of all time. Everybody's got to love this. And then I found out most people have never fucking heard of it. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's things like that. You never know what's going to resonate with people. And that's why it's a big part of why I love doing this show is we get to shine a spotlight on these films that resonate with a lot of people, but aren't as well known as a lot of, you know, like, for example, you know, Lost Boys. Yeah. So that's why we do what we do. Uh, Jenny Wright plays May, the young drifter who bites Caleb. Wright also appeared in such films as The World According to Garp, St. Elmo's Fire, Young Guns 2, and The Lawnmower Man. So she's been kind of all over the place in the 80s. Uh, didn't really leave the 80s. Uh, she's good in this. There's a lot of actors who just never left the 80s. It's sad, but... <laughs> And it's so funny, their filmography, you look at the titles and you don't even need to know the year. You're like, yeah, that's an 80s movie. Yeah, straight up. <laughs> Lawn, what was it? Lawnmower what? The Lawnmower Man. Yeah, that's like primetime 1985. <laughs> Dude, that movie is such a trip. It's uh, So it's based on a Stephen King story. Uh-huh. But all the studio did was take the name of the story and completely ignore the story oh. and do some bullshit about cyberspace. Okay. And King actually that's... sued them to get his name taken off of it. Good. That's it's good. It's so bad. They should be proud of that. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait to do that movie on the show just to dive into the fucking wacky production. That's, that's going to be fun. The shit show. Because the, the story's about, like, a guy who pays a satyr to cut his grass. It's the weirdest story. I'm in. <laughs> the movie has fuck all to do with that. That's great. You got you to gotta love that. You got to love the arrogance to just be like, fuck Stephen King. I'm just going to take his title. Like, who the yeah. fuck do you think King's you like, are? Fuck me. No, fuck you. And he got a team of lawyers and got his name taken off that shit. Yeah. Good. Good. Oh, boy. Uh, Lance Henriksen plays Jesse, the leader of the vampire gang. Henriksen is a celebrated character actor who is perhaps best known in the role of Bishop in Aliens, a film coming up very soon on the podcast calendar. He has also appeared in The Terminator, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, Dog Day Afternoon, The Right Stuff, The Quick and the Dead, Scream 3, and the TV series Millennium as Frank Black. Plain and simple, he's a badass. Lance Henriksen's been around forever, and he has fucking rocked it every time. Yeah, this guy is 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 not an actor. He is a a conjurer of <laughs> of, of uh, there's there's guys who like really don't feel like they're like you know quote unquote acting like stage acting and like trying. He's just being badass, yeah. and it fucking works, man. That it, it works so well in this movie. His costume, his hair. Just the way he his 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 eyes, the scowl is like, yeah, he's fucking demented. It's awesome. This is a guy who's been like in the movie. Jesse feels like a guy who's been around for centuries. Yes. Who could give a fuck about the world. And Lance Henderson is one of the unsung heroes of the 80s. Like that dude was in everything. Mm-hmm. And he's still like popping up all the time. And I fucking love the guy. <laughs> yeah, no, it was, it was really, really good casting. For sure. And there's a reason for like why he's in um, why he's in this, along with a lot of other actors from Aliens. And we'll talk about that in a second here. Yes. Bill Paxton plays Severin, one of the craziest vampires in film history. (laughs) Paxton was another celebrated character actor appearing in such films as Aliens. Again, Twister, Frailty, Apollo 13, Tombstone and True Lies, just to name a few. He remains the only actor in film history to be killed by a Terminator, an alien, and a Predator. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. In, ter- in Terminator 80- 1984, he's one of the gang at the beginning who gets killed by a naked Arnold. In Aliens, he's uh, Private Hicks, I think. Who, or not Hicks, the other one. I don't remember. He's one of the Space Marines who gets killed 
And then in Predator 2, he's Danny Glover's partner who gets killed on the subway. So God damn. Yeah, the guy just was fucking awesome. He was the monster magnet. Yeah. Yeah, and then he gets hit by an 18-wheeler in this movie. So, yeah. Jesus Christ, that makeup. <laughs> that I, oh, bitches. my God. It, it really is. Bill Paxton is, yeah, he, he wins this fucking movie, man. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah. Oh, Bill Paxton. He uh, he tragically died in 2017 at age 61 <coughs> from a stroke following intense heart surgery. It was a big shocker. And uh, yeah, World Lost, a great character actor. And movies like this prove that he was fucking ahead of the curve. He really was. Exactly. Yeah, definitely rest in peace. A guy I will never, ever get sick of rewatching his, his movies. Oh, hell yeah, man. Oh. Then we've got Jeanette Goldstein as Diamondback, Jesse's girl and co-leader of the gang. Goldstein has appeared in such films as Terminator 2, Judgment Day, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, Lethal Weapon 2, and big surprise, Aliens. <laughs> so why are there so many people from Aliens in this, you ask? Good question. Catherine Bigelow knew James Cameron, later married and divorced him. Cameron directed Aliens, and I'm sure he put in a good word with his people, managed to get a couple of his actors from the production to join Catherine Bigelow's production. So that's why the cast of Aliens and the cast of Near Dark pretty is pretty similar. <laughs> trust, yeah, it's simply because of trust. And In fact, the whole fucking truck scene kind of mirrors Terminator 2. He ripped yes. that off big time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Indeed. Oh, for sure. Near Dark has an IMDb score of 7.0, Rotten Tomatoes score of 88%. It was a box office bomb, grossing only $3 million on a budget of $5 million. But it's since been reevaluated by fans and critics and is now considered a cult classic. So let's get into the plot of this thing. So we meet Caleb Colton, a farmer's son just kind of wandering through this t- town for some reason. Good old boy. Sees a young woman outside ice cream parlor and is immediately like, I got to get in there. So he goes over and. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, well my, one of my favorite, that's like, it, it really is a great introduction to the movie because it, it gives you no time to really be like, oh, who's this guy? Because he immediately goes over there, like you said. I love how he like walks up to his friends for like 0.2 seconds and is like, all right, see y'all later. I'm going to go, you know, find out what's about that, you know? And, <laughs> and it's like, okay, you clearly don't care about those two guys that are supposedly your friends and you, you're just coming out here to get laid or something. So it, it gives you no time to breathe. This movie, it, it immediately jumps into what, what is going to be the next hour and a half. Well, and it does what Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Slayer later did. It tricks you. Because typically in a setting like this, the man is the monster. Yes. And the woman is the victim. But in this scenario, we learn May is a vampire and she is hunting him. And I love when movies kind of flip the tropes, you know, it's it's expected sometimes, but it's still cool. Yeah. Oh, but yeah, it's it's special because simply because of that, that that matter that you're saying that. We are so used to the male being the, yeah, like the hunter or the one that's, you know, uh, instilling fear in people. And to see something that simple, it's almost like making a movie black and white. It's like something so simple, but so profound and affects the entire movie. Oh, for sure. And even before she bites him, it's a creepy scenario because he's like they just met and he's trying to kind of like trick her into kissing him. It is not aged well. <laughs> oh no, 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 no. He's no, no. He is not. Caleb is not not a cool guy. He's out bored as hell. Obviously, has nothing to do, and is like, uh, yeah, I'm gonna try to like manipulate this woman here, this young woman. It's it's not good. No, and you you kind of you kind of don't really feel bad for him if you know what I mean. You know what I mean? Yeah, because he's kind of a shit at the beginning. Yeah. He's kind of a you know typical dude. Yeah, but. Then she bites him on the neck, and he's like, fuck. And she runs off, demanding, you know, I got to get home. Sun's coming up. Like, if you don't know this is a vampire movie already, there's a lot of hints, and I like that. Yes. And then, and then bam, we, we, we hit the ground running, and now he's like, what the fuck is going on? And typically, <laughs> in vampire culture, in order to turn 
they not only have to drink your blood, you have to drink their blood. And I, the only, this is going to sound self-serving, but I don't give a fuck. The only other thing I've ever seen where a vampire just bites the person and there's no like transfer is my fucking work. Again, I should have watched this movie before I wrote my damn book. <laughs> God, that's brilliant. Oh, my God. Wonderful. So, so Caleb is kind of floored. He does His truck won't start. He starts walking home. And I love this scene of him just walking in the sun and his jacket is smoking. Yes, I, it is. It is genius directing from from Bigelow. Some of those wide shots, man, are, are like. They're brilliant because it looks like there's – well, there is. There's so much space in between him and anything, <laughs> and it's just him and the sun hanging out, just, you know, getting smoky. You got that tense-as-hell 80s synth score yes. that just pumps up the, the adrenaline, the tension. You're just like, fuck, he's going to explode. Yeah. And then that RV comes out of fucking nowhere, and they just grab him <laughs> and yeah. drive off. And his dad and his sister are like, what the hell? Yeah, they <laughs> hey. rightfully so think he was kidnapped. <laughs> yes, yes. God, but, what a brilliant <laughs> scene. When that RV comes like, <laughs> comes flying in, I'm like, yes. This is like, I don't know, it's like, a, you know, you get that adrenaline rush from movies like Mad Max. But in this, in this kind of atmosphere where it really does feel like just the sun and Caleb, and then you see this big machine come out of nowhere, and you're like, "Well, this isn't good. Uh, he's fucked." <laughs> it's it it is it is an awesome first ten minutes. <laughs> and May grabs him, throws him into the into the RV, where we meet her family: Jesse, Severin, Diamondback, and the kid. I don't remember the kid's name. I do, I, I hope they just call him the kid. I'm gonna find out. Hold on. Well, Keep he, moving. They're all kind of pissed off. Like, May did not, this was not a sanctioned turn. Who the hell, like, what the hell does she think she's up to bringing somebody, you know, bringing a new guy into the dynamic here? And they're all like, you know, prove yourself, like, bitch. Like, they already hate him. <laughs> like, from the get-go, they all hate him. <laughs> but May's like, give him a chance, guys. And they take him to a, uh, like, a, like, a factory or something to lay low during the day. And he runs off. Because he's like, fuck this, I don't know these people. <laughs> goes off on his own, tries to get, I guess, to a bus station, but he feels sick. He doesn't know why he feels sick, but he feels really sick. He tries to eat a candy bar, and he vomits it. His you know, regular food is poison to vampires. Yeah. And uh, he just kind of, like, a cop confronts him. A cop with a wound on his hand, and Caleb just keeps looking at the wound, the bloody bandage. It's all he can think about. <laughs> uh, he ends up on the, – the guy gives him some money for a bus ticket. He gets on the bus and then gets off the bus when he starts to feel sick. And May finds him and cuts her own wrist and makes Caleb drink the blood. And he laps it up, which is something I've never understood. I, I – if vampires can feed off their own kind, why do they even need humans? I don't know. I mean, that, that that's always something that's felt contradicting to me, but yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I just, I don't. <laughs> For it's fun. A personal thing. I, I put, I, I, I focus a lot on vampire tropes and like whether they make sense and whether they're, mm -hmm. but uh, the next day the police find the RV torched because these guys don't, you know, stay in one vehicle long. They're off the grid. But Caleb's body's not in it, so they they don't know what to make of it. May's family, they switched cars, and she's trying to teach Caleb to kill. If you're going to survive in this family, you need to kill. You need to drink. But he won't do it. He's too, uh, he's too human. And uh, <laughs> May keeps, like, uh, drinking blood and then letting Caleb feed off of her and the rest of the family's like you no they're looking at Caleb like he's a dog like he's a parasite like you can't do that if you're going to you know roll with the big boys you got to you got to play so they go to a bar <laughs> and this scene is fucking bonkers it's so just unflinching <laughs> just what the carnage that happens in this bar yeah yeah man and they're going there to teach Caleb to kill 
and Severin starts talk, you know, talking shit to these big biker dudes at the bar, knocks over one of the guy's drinks, and then tells the bartender, like, pour him another one. And he's like, you gotta, you gotta pay for that. Like, he's not buying him a drink. He's like, you deal with it. Just riling this guy up. And uh, the guy is actually the dude that uh, Arnold steals his clothes at the beginning of Terminator 2. That's the same guy. There you go. Nice. <laughs> this guy apparently got a rep for fucking with, you know, strong supernatural creatures. <laughs> Vampires and robots. <laughs> uh, so this guy gets in a fight with Severin and Severin <laughs> grabs Caleb and says, like, punch this guy. And the guy's just like, fine. And he starts wailing on Caleb for no reason. Caleb fights back, punches the guy across the fucking room into the pool table. Now, everyone else is starting to take notice. And the bar, the uh, one of the barmaids goes over to the table where Jesse and the rest of the family are sitting and <laughs> takes their order. And Jesse's like, I just want a glass. She's like, just the glass? Like, just the glass, hon. Then he grabs her, and I think Diamondback cuts her throat. And yeah. they drain the body like it's a like it's fucking cattle into the glass. Like they're draining blood into the glass for them to drink. It's so matter of factly they don't give a fuck about witnesses. They don't care. This is just you know this is going to the grocery store. This is the bar. Like this is what they came to drink. It's fucked up, but it's so well done. This is the kind of shit I do on Grand Theft Auto, you know, um, because <laughs> because it's a video game and I can walk in anywhere and make crazy shit happen. Yeah, th- this is this is my favorite scene of the movie, hands down. Um, one of my favorite vampire scenes of all time, Pro- probably my favorite. It is, it, it it's like a like fucking Iron Maiden music video or something. It's crazy, <laughs> super eighties. And Bill Paxton is like the way he's smiling and how he does not does not care how menacing or whatever these guys these mere humans look like. He is just gonna do exactly what he wants when he wants to do it at any given moment and it, it, it's it's like invigorating to watch these guys just like you said fuck the witnesses we don't give a shit like we're just we're just here to to, to tear shit up to wreak havoc bill paxton reminded me of a younger crazier rugger hauer in the hitcher that is like, such a good call just doesn't give a fuck is gonna pick somebody and fuck up their lives mm-hmm. and like if 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 John Ryder was a vampire, this is what he would be. <laughs> Hell yeah! So he uh that biker dude uh he like rips his he kind of like breaks his neck uh steals his sunglasses and like puts them on his bloody face and the bartender's like putting bullets in the gun and he's just on the bar kicking glasses and he kicks at him and cuts his throat with his spurs. So old, man. Jesus. <laughs> man. Unique. I've never seen that before. That's Neither sure. have I. Neither <laughs> have I. I. I don't know how, how how that hasn't been done like over and over. <laughs> so effective. And there's one guy left, and May gives him to Caleb and says, he's yours. And the guy takes off running. Caleb runs after him, grabs him, and still can't do it. He lets the guy go. And they're all like, you fuck up like they're just still on him like you idiot now there's a witness he's gonna get the cops and they they don't have like they've got five minutes till sunup they got to get to a motel or something and they get to a motel but the cops find them first while they're asleep during the day and a shootout starts and they're all like covered in blankets like half of them are you know burned from the sun trying to shoot the cops and Caleb goes out on a limb for them, covers himself with a blanket, runs for the truck, and saves their lives. And thanks to this, they decide not to kill him. They were totally going to just kill him and you know, leave his body outside. But now they're like, you're all right. You saved our lives. <laughs> the next night, they stay at another motel. Hopefully, they let one of the other family members check in this time. <laughs> and... um. They happen to run into Caleb's dad and his sister, Sarah, who are st- staying there, too, trying to find Caleb. And they, they, they're they like, you know, they've seen our faces, so we're going to kill them. And Caleb's like, nope. And he, uh, Sarah throws open the door, 
the sun hits the vampires. Caleb gets his family out of there. And then now, you know, there's no forgiveness. Caleb's made his decision. The family's going to be out for blood. <laughs> God. And, it really is amazing to think about the dad and daughter, like, while we're watching all of that happen, they're like making the decision to go find him after he got kidnapped. It's amazing. Well, I love when uh, when Caleb's talking to Jesse and he asks he asks him, "How old are you?" And Jesse's like, "Let me put it this way: <laughs> I fought for the South and we lost." <laughs> that is such a great line for a vampire movie. Oh my god! Incredible. <laughs> and that that little boy that little boy's name is Homer. 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 Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He he's a pretty frightening character. Yeah, he wants to kill Sarah so he has somebody his age to be with. Yeah, and he he's like uh, smoking cigarettes and drinking beer and has like a trench coat on. He's like twelve. Yeah, it's like a really really strange effect he has. Well, that and like the dynamic of the family, they all treat him like an equal. There's no yeah. you know he's not the kid of the group. He's just part of the group. Yeah, because he, he kills the he, kid of the he, group. <laughs> he yes, yeah, yeah. They all kill for their own yeah for their own meat. You know, they get their own. They all do their own work. Yeah. They all put yeah. in the hours. <laughs> but now I, lo- I love how we're justifying vampires. Like, <laughs> no, they're just interesting. <laughs> yeah, I, I know. I, yeah, I love them. They're, they're you know, sometimes they got to clock in, too. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so Caleb's uh, dad took a shot at Jesse and nothing happened. So he's like, what is wrong here? What is going on? And what are these people? And they never, ever use the word vampire, which really kind of irks me. Like, just commit. We all know what's going on. You know what a vampire <laughs> is. Just admit that, you know, you're a fucking vampire. Say the word. God. That bugs me when movies do that. Be proud. Yeah. Like The Walking Dead. Just call someone a fucking zombie. <laughs> oh, I hate when they... Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, since it's a blood disease... Dad has the bright idea, or actually Caleb has the idea, but Dad pulls it off. Blood transfusion. Put, you know, Dad's blood into Caleb, and amazingly, it works. <laughs> I was not expecting that. Holy shit, the cure for vampirism this whole time was a blood transfusion with Dad. What do you know? With good old Loy. <laughs> he, he will always be the psycho CIA agent from Volunteers. <laughs> John and his knife, Mike. <laughs> Always. That's All amazing. I can see when I see that dude. That's incredible. <laughs> well, so Caleb, now human again, uh, later having dinner with his family, like like he didn't just get kidnapped by a gang of vampires. Like, <laughs> just hanging out. Goes outside and sees May sitting on a swing in his backyard and embraces her. Like he still loves her. Like, she didn't just track his ass down, and they're all going to murder his family. <laughs> oh, my God. And May can't believe it. He's human again. And now she's like, well, now we can't be together because you're one of, you know, you're a cattle again. You're just one of them. <sighs> Caleb goes back into his house. Sarah's gone. And he gets on his horse and goes to search because, yeah. Well, he goes on his, he gets on the horse because they slashed his tires. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, plus... Say, Time for the horse. Yeah. <laughs> Catherine Bigelow did. She was like, all right, it's time for that shot. <laughs> I said this is a Western, and God damn it, there's going to be a horse. <laughs> <laughs> so he goes and searches uh, his sister, finds the family in the middle of town, just kind of happens upon them. <laughs> and Sarah is being held by Homer, and uh, they're, you know, they're going to kill him. But Sarah uh, may actually gets a change of heart, save Sarah, and they make a run for it. Severin goes after Caleb and starts just like attacking him. A truck pulls over. Uh, Caleb gets in the truck and is like, drive now. And Severin shoots the dude in the head. Caleb moves him over, gets in the truck, runs down Severin in a scene that is very reminiscent of both Terminator 2 and The Dark Knight. Yes. Uh, Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He's very much like, I want you to do it. Come on, hit me. Like he's full Joker there. And Caleb runs his ass down. <laughs> like no hesitation. T- takes him down, and he just climbs up from the bottom of the truck, half his head caved in, 
It's so grisly. It's the coolest makeup. He looks like a fucking zombie. <laughs> and Caleb jumps out of the fucking truck, and the truck explodes and gets severance. So that's how you kill a vampire in the near dark world. Blow their ass up. Oh, <laughs> so <laughs> Homer dies trying to get Sarah back. He's just running through the sun, not a care in the world. He explodes. That was grisly to see just a kid on fire <laughs> run mm-hmm. through the highway. Yeah. And uh, Diamondback and Jesse are on fire driving their car straight towards Caleb and Sarah, but they explode first and all's good. Caleb gets May back to the barn, does a blood transfusion. I guess they were the same blood type and saves her life, makes her human again. And I guess they can be together now. She's been a vampire for like three years, so she's going to have to do some adjusting. But (laughs) knowing that there's such an easy cure for vampirism really kind of takes a lot of the bite out of it. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Oh, hell yeah. That that knowledge is serious power. Like if the rage virus in 28 days later could be cured by NyQuil and a bowl of soup. Like it's not yeah. that big of a deal anymore. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Then we'll just, we'll just stock up on NyQuil. <laughs> Still cool. Still cool. So here's some film guys and facts. During filming, the cast and crew had to deal with a train that would stop at the same intersection every night. And one night, Bill Paxton in full makeup with the grizzly blood Saw one of the train workers leave the engine, went up to him saying, hey, man, there's been an accident. (laughs) And if you think I'm bad, wait till you see the other guy. (laughs) Must have scared the living shit out of this dude. (laughs) Hey, man, there's been an accident. Half his fucking body ripped apart. That's beautiful. (laughs) Oh, my gosh, that's great. That's fantastic. Number two. The lack of almost any material relating to traditional vampire mythology, uh, except for their vulnerability to being burned to the death by sunlight, was intentional on the part of Catherine Bigelow. She wanted to make the vampires into a cross between traditional horror villains and Western gunslingers, because that would make them characters who could drive the narrative. And uh, that's why she also made Caleb kind of a non-traditional hero. But... I think that's brilliant. I think it, she did a great job of making these characters more of like a product of their environment and not just like straight up monsters. Oh, they're really smart. Hell yeah. Makes them stand out. Number three. According to Catherine Bigelow, one ending considered was for Caleb's younger sister, Sarah, to follow him in May into the sunlight, only for her hand to start burning, implying she was bitten by Homer during her abduction. However, this was eventually dropped as it would have had a little impact, given she could be easily cured via blood transfusion. <laughs> See? <laughs> Just, uh, it's a cool idea, but once you suddenly have a cure, the monsters aren't scary anymore. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Still, I give Near Dark an 8. It's a solid vampire flick with an interesting premise that features a pulse-pounding ending and great characters. And what more could you want? Yeah, uh, I also give it an eight. Uh, yeah, very effective characters. Um, some awesome performances. Bill Paxton, uh, one of the best, uh, one of the better vampires I've ever seen in a movie. Just takes that, takes that kind of like punk rock, like metal, you know, wearing leather to the next level. Oh yeah. Uh, and, and is it is someone I would watch like over and over. I think I'll rewatch Near Dark. I think it's something that that will remain in my, you know, kind of in my library. Uh, and mad respect to Catherine Bigelow, man, she's awesome. Hell yeah, man. So this week is our last Friday episode. Sorry, guys, but it's become a bit of a pain in the ass to deliver two episodes a week so close to each other and still make them both good listens for you guys. So we're doing this for you. And yeah, mostly yeah. for us, but also for you. Yeah. Re- remember that we're, you know, we're doing we've been doing this over Skype now for a couple months. And it uh, what, what we've been doing is, you know, trying to record, like you said, two in one week where it's. Sometimes it works out to where, you know, we did Scream and American Pie. That's a pretty good balance. But then there's been some weeks where we don't know what's going to happen and it'll be Audition and Itchy the Killer. And that's a very, very heavy week. <laughs> yeah. For, and for, also, for us. Not, not a lot of these films can be paired 
with films that are easy to get or a lot of films we have trouble coming up with a connection that makes sense yeah and really it's just we want to be we want to make content as good as possible and so after this week there's just going to be one film gasm every wednesday but if you still need your weekly double dose of us discussing movies you can catch our upcoming new series oscar sunday hopefully in the next few weeks on this show, we'll focus on films recognized by the Academy or films that we think should have been recognized by the Academy. And once it gets going, those will be launched every Sunday. Yes. So I have one episode for you Wednesday, one episode for you Sunday. And that gives us enough time to have like enough time to develop separate scripts for good content where we really get to dive into these films and give them the proper respect. Yes. And, and like, you know, a movie – a movie like this near dark, a weirdo movie that we want to give that full attention to and give honestly give like, uh, you know, the full week. We want to give the full film gasm week to near dark where we're allowing our our minds to go as far into it as we can and not worry about any um, any bonus or anything that's got to be connected to it. But we do have a bonus coming up this Friday because it's the last one. And I've brought it up a couple times uh, as probably my favorite Maybe not the best, <laughs> but my favorite, uh, to me, a heavily rewatchable movie from 2014, What We Do in the Shadows, starring Taika Waititi and Jermaine Clement, also written you know, and directed by them, and James Bobbin. It's just uh, just awesome movie, and I cannot wait uh, to do that one because the new TV show has come out, and I know a lot of people are excited about that. And uh, it's just going to be a lot of fun to, to dive deep into that one. But that will be, like you said, our last Friday bonus. Yes, it will. It's been going to be the end of an era. We've been doing that for a long time now. Yeah, almost. I, I, when when did we start doing the just straight up? Our first uh, Friday thematic connection was E.T. Okay. Or Poltergeist. So we've been doing it for over like half a year. Yeah. 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 We, you know. It, yeah. No. No. Yeah. Um. I think you're right. It's not that we're, um. You know upset or anything with the content we have we love our content we love the movies we've represented on the podcast we just want to adapt because that's what podcasts should do that's what um that's what any art should do is try to adapt and and get better and uh, you know start i think you and i now can broaden our horizons even more by seeing stuff that's been touched by the academy that we haven't seen and it'll give us an excuse to rewatch movies just like filmgasm does sometimes yeah uh, some classics so yeah it's it just opens up more doors and like you said it opens up for a listeners to if they don't want to just be <laughs> listening to a genre films and horror pieces they can they can come for the uh the, you know the dramatic stuff too now filmgasm is still going to be our haven for genre films and weird shit and just getting to dissect this, Hell yeah. like, the freaky you know badass flicks of yesteryear embrace and, the weird yeah oscar sunday is going to be a chance for us to more you know stretch our critical legs and talk more about you know award shit like you know we're gonna be, we're gonna be a little snobby not gonna lie it's just hey, gonna get a little hey, snobby it's gonna be all right <laughs> <laughs> but i'm very much looking forward to that and we will keep you guys updated of uh when we have a timetable on that show oh yes so the only significant thing that happened this week in film was the announcement that hbo will be releasing the long-awaited fan-demanded director's cut of 2017's justice league on their streaming service hbo max which is scheduled to be available today if you're listening to this on wednesday may 27th it's the fabled snyder cut as the fans have dubbed it and it will be available in 2021 (sighs) snyder cut the fans have been screaming about the snyder cut ever since justice league came out and delivered to less than lukewarm reviews so what happened was Zack Snyder was scheduled to direct Justice League, he directed most of it, and then he had a tragic death in the family and had to uh, leave production. Joss Whedon was called in to finish up, and his version was what was released in theaters, and it was met with kind of mixed reviews from fans. A lot of people thought Zack Snyder would have done a better job, and it hasn't gone away. (laughs) For three years, people have been screaming about the goddamn Snyder Cut. <sighs> so what do you think about the Snyder Cut? <sighs> well, here's the thing. Um, I would be more excited about about a Justice League cut if it wasn't someone like Zack Snyder, who I feel like, personally, just does not have the clout for people to be up in arms like this. 
Yes. No, nowhere, nowhere near the clout for fanboys to be like, yeah, give us that. Give us the Snyder cut like he's Scorsese or something. <laughs> what, what where does this come from? What prior what has he done prior for us to think that he's a genius? That's what yeah. makes no sense to me. And it's just really fucking unfair. There's so many movies that get made and they come out and they're not exactly what they intended to be. And uh, that's because, you know, there's production companies and there's money involved. And so when something like that happens and he's just given his own cut, a year, like what? What? Come on. What, what are we doing here? What what kind of uh, precedent are we setting if we can do that with all movies? So, oh, let's just make an extended cut three years later for all these movies. That's not how this works, man. You make your product. <laughs> You put that shit out, and people either like it or they don't, you know, and they, they're, they're, it's up to them to decide that. You don't get to just come back three years later. Make a new movie. Make a <laughs> new movie. Come up with a new idea. I, I just, this is like, huh, whatever. <laughs> uh, that's but the kind of news it was to me. Especially since DC's kind of stopped this universe. Like, they've kind of killed this universe. There's no yeah. point in going back now. And just... This is clearly this is a publicity stunt on HBO's uh, behalf to you know promote HBO Max, say so, you know they're going to be the ones who have the Snyder cut. And look, 300 was good. Watchmen was awesome. Everything else that guy has done has sucked. <laughs> Let's be honest here. It, yeah, yeah, exactly. And yeah, we we we're like I would say we're almost like in the minority of <laughs> of how we feel about Watchmen. <laughs> I know. Yeah. And that's why I'm so confused by it, um, by this. Yeah, the up in arms, like, yeah, give us the Snyder cut. I, I just didn't know those people. I didn't know those fans were out there. They just started coming up out of the ground, I guess. I don't know. You know what I found out yesterday that really pissed me off? Because the Snyder cut's being released, fans are out there on Instagram burning their Justice League DVDs. Like hashtag release the Snyder cut, and they are filming themselves like crushing their Blu-rays to death, like burning their cases, <laughs> ripping them apart. Like, what? Do, what is wrong with people? <laughs> get get a life, man. Jesus <laughs> Christ! You see what's going? Yeah, that is that is ridiculous. <laughs> that is absurd. People, yeah, people, um, people latching on to things like that. I mean, I know obviously you and I are huge, huge, huge movie fans, huge yeah. pop, huge pop culture fans. We love music as well, just yeah. as much as we like movies, but that is like taking it to a different fucking level of, of just pettiness. I don't, I don't like that one bit. Nah, man, I own justice league. I thought it wasn't bad. I thought it should have been way better than it was. Yeah. I mean, but then I moved on. Then I, le- then I walked away. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, you know what, you know what I did. You know what I did after that? I got really excited for Infinity War and Endgame. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I went and watched the the superior um, guys who take care of their fucking movies. That's what I did. Where they don't need to release an Endgame supercut because Endgame's already good. God damn. <laughs> <laughs> Just make your shit good in the first place. Jeez. <laughs> yeah. I'm picturing like you know HBO announcing the Snyder cut and then like Kevin Feige sitting on like a mountain of cash being like oh wow <laughs> <laughs> like like he'll like he'll and patrick on um breaking bad he's like i yeah. gotta do it <laughs> blowing his nose with a wad of hundreds and just being yeah. like well this ought to be interesting <laughs> god Jesus Christ. Uh, yeah, I know. Well, that's the kind of news that's happening in the movie world, though, because we don't have any. <laughs> Nothing's coming out. Nothing's there's, happening. There's no theaters. Yeah. You know. You know. Yeah. And the, and it continues. It keeps moving. And we 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 um here at Filmgasm all again all we're gonna keep doing is try to stay positive with what we can do and keep watching old movies and uh, shining a light on. That's all we can do right now. And come 2021, we will do an episode on the Snyder Cut. We will look into it and see if there's anything there worth talking about. And I, yeah. I, I hope it sucks. Yeah, yeah, isn't that, isn't that, that's how I feel too. It's like having a coworker there. You're like, I don't really like you. I hope you fail at your job and get fired. <laughs> and, and that's like how I feel about this, yeah, this movie. I just don't want it to do well. But yeah, you know, like, you know, there's gonna be those people out there who have already decided that it's good before they even watch it. I can't stand that. It's like that coworker who never shuts up about that trip they're going to take. You don't really like them. You don't want them. You want them to shut up about this trip. And 
the day comes and you hope their flight gets canceled. <laughs> Just because it's going to make you feel better that they are that they are having a bad day. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Which is terrible, but hey. <laughs> it's petty and it's shitty, but... But so I, is the Snyder Cut. <laughs> I could use a win, you know what I mean? <laughs> if, this, if, if something like the Snyder Cut can come out, something so petty, then I can be petty too, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Oh, man. You know if it's going to... I bet you a million bucks that if it does suck, there are going to be Snyder fanboys out there who are going to be like, well, that wasn't the real Snyder Cut. That was HBO's production cut of what the real Snyder cut was going to be release the real Snyder cut. And then we're going to get that <laughs> bullshit. <laughs> of course, of course. There'll, there'll be every kind of way of, uh, of digesting that. Yep. Yep. That's what I'm most scared of is the conversation afterwards. Oh boy. <laughs> well, that's all for today. Listeners check out what we do in the shadows, our final Friday episode at the end of the week. And as of now, we are back in the book of Filmgasm, drawing random selections from 2,000 possible horror, action, sci-fi, and fantasy films. And next week's episode is an instance of Fate reaching out and extending her hand, another sequel to a past episode, a flawless classic in its own right. We are doing Aliens. <laughs> Crazy. See, I said it was coming up soon. Yeah, you, you know, I, I would love to uh, tell the tell the listeners here that how we how we did that and how that movie is the one we're doing first after uh, adjusting or adapting from the uh, filmgasm and then the bonus and from to straight filmgasm and Oscar Sunday is we drew from the book and got that we got aliens and Connor are like what the hell we're about to do near dark and we just did Alien not that long ago it's just <laughs> the book knows man the book knows. The book knows all. It's like the magic conch from SpongeBob. May I have some of this delicious sandwich? <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, my God. So, aliens. Ellen Ripley, having survived the destruction of the Nostromo, is sent back to LV-426 to aid a team of colonial marines in finding the colony on the planet that has vanished. What they find is a hive of xenomorph creatures who are ready to kill. Can't wait. One of my favorite horror sequels. One of the most badass 80s movies ever made. Yeah. Until next week, don't pick up hitchhikers. Don't let anyone bite you. And if you're a vampire, wear sunblock or a motorcycle helmet when out and about. 